Somebody give him glory. Somebody give. I tell you one thing, I give him praise for her. First lady's in the house tonight. Somebody give him praise. Somebody give him praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Woo. Just remain standing tonight, if you would, all over the house. Amen. What an awesome atmosphere that has prepared us for the entrance of the word of the Lord tonight. How many of you came with expectation in your spirit for what God is going to do? What a privilege and an honor it has been this week to have Brother and Sister Hicks with us all the way from Pueblo, Colorado. And we are honored tonight and excited about what the Lord has given him for this house. We want him to come. We are ready to respond in whatever way the Holy Ghost has spoke tonight. Would you put your hands together one more time and give God a great praise as he comes to deliver the word of the Lord to us tonight. Let's lift up our voice for just a few more moments. Jesus, we love you. We honor you in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Williams. It is indeed a privilege to be with the Rock Church. Fort Myers, Florida. Amen. As I said on uh, Sunday evening, this church is breaking molds and setting trends in the apostolic world. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. We love them. They're really family, not friends. And, uh, we go back almost almost 20 years now, and uh, we love them very much. Love the boys, Isaac and Judah. Judah, thank you for being our tour guide today. Amen. Might be a business opportunity in that. He knows, he knows everything. Praise God. Amen. I want to media team make a little adjustment. I know I sent a title and a text earlier. <clears throat> I want to adjust the title just a little bit. And um, I hope that's not too difficult at this point. But I, we were in the room and my wife asked me what my title was and she said, ooh. <laughs> I said, I, I know, I, I tried to get away from it. I, and um, during prayer, pre-service prayer, I just felt a little bit of a shift. And uh, so I'm going to change my title tonight to two inheritances. Amen, two inheritances. We're going to go to the book of Obadiah. Tonight, beginning at verse 1, interesting little book, the book of Obadiah, one of the minor prophets, the shortest book in the Old Testament, and with uh, 
just over 20 years of preaching and teaching and other forms of delivering the Word of God, I don't think I have ever taught or preached out of the book of Obadiah. How many of you even know where it's at? <laughs> it's right after Amos, if you're still looking, all right? Um, I think it's the, it's the type of book in the Bible that gets mentioned when we're teaching about the scope of the Old Testament. And we say, oh yeah, and there's the minor prophets, and there's Amos, and Obadiah, and Nahum, and Habakkuk, and, and then we just move on real quick. And it might seem a little strange, but this book has been working on me for a couple of years. Because I found it one day and I said, God, you put the book of Obadiah in the scripture for a purpose. You revealed something to your people in this little out-of-the-way book that's tucked into the Old Testament. And so there were some situations that were going on at home, and someone was preaching about a month ago in the book of Amos, which in my Bible, Amos chapter 9, well, in my, my other Bible, Amos chapter 9 is right there on the same page with the first part of Obadiah. So I just glanced down. And it was like the Lord said, this is what's going on in this situation. Oh, man. So we're going to read a text, and uh, we, it might feel a little heavy here at the front, but hopefully we'll go to more cheerful waters here in a moment, all right? Obadiah. Beginning in the first verse, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest the cliffs of the rocks, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought out? All the men of, the, of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the, to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Skipping down to verse 12. But thou, speaking to Edom, shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. 
neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us in the next few minutes. Open our hearts to receive from his word. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Let your will be done in this house tonight. Not my will, but thy will be done, O God. Oh, let the mind of the Spirit come forth in this place. Not my ideas, not my words, God, but let your purpose be fulfilled. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, praise God. You may be seated. This uh, unusual little book started me on a search that took me literally from Genesis all the way to Hebrews, almost to the end. And it really begins, this story begins with two brothers who were born, they were twins. Uh, one's name was Esau and the other was Jacob. Esau was the firstborn by a few minutes, and Jacob was the uh, persistent tag-along little brother gripping him by the heels as he came out of the womb. That's what the Bible says. One of these men, Esau, was described as being red. I don't know exactly what that means, but it also says that he was very hairy was kind of a rough guy, a man's man. Scripture lets us know later that he was a man of the field. He was a man of the forest. He liked to hunt. He liked to be out uh, pressing his strength against nature and uh, proving himself not only against nature but against uh, the forces of, of other people around him that he continually got into conflict with. That was Esau. And Jacob was a little bit of a different type of person. He's what you might call a mama's boy. It said that Jacob liked to dwell in the tents. And so he would spend a lot of time around the house with mom. And he learned how to cook. Nothing wrong with a man learning how to cook. Uh, it got him a blessing and an inheritance in the end. <laughs> Because the guy that was tramping through the forest all the time apparently had not figured out how to feed himself. And so you have these two brothers, and they are twins, and yet they are so diametrically different. They are just at odds almost from the beginning. And so uh, Jacob is a little bit of a, a trickster. He is... Uh, Really, in all honesty, he is a liar. He is a deceiver, and his name actually means heel grabber because he was continually trying to trip up Esau. And so when we look at the lives of these two men, we see that they both have uh, some pretty big character 
issues. They have some deficiencies. And if you study each of their lives separately, you'll begin to see the hand of God as, as God begins to apply pressure to the clay of their life and how they respond to that pressure as God begins to try to work out those inconsistencies. Jacob, later his name is changed to Israel. He becomes the father of the Israelites, of the people of God in the Old Testament, of, of God's chosen and called out people. Um, he has 12 boys and they each become the head of a tribe and those 12 tribes begin to form a nation. And that becomes the focus of most of the rest of the Old Testament. But there's a little backstory going on that threads its way through the Old Testament because you have the other brother, Esau. And he also find, founds a nation, and that nation is Edom. So really, in order to understand the prophecies that are going on in Obadiah, we got to understand the conflict between two brothers that leads to two types of people and two inheritances that are left to two groups of people. Esau never really forgave Jacob. He wanted to kill him, and so Jacob ran away because Jacob was a mama's boy. And when he came back over 20 years later, we find the conflict unresolved, and Jacob is coming in fear of his life because he knows that Esau is going to try to kill him. And yet the favor of God is now on this man in a way that it was not when he left his parents' home. Now he has the hand of God. And there's even the wrestling match on the other side of Jabbok and all those things that happened to Jacob. But Esau is still just brooding in the losses and the defeats of yesterday. Jacob's life is spared, but his life is not spared because of the kindness of his brother. It's spared because his brother is afraid of him. And so there is this continual conflict. And eventually Esau moves out of Canaan and moves up into the Mount Seir. And he begins to establish a group of people that later become the kingdom of Edom. It's an interesting observation because there's multiple situations like this in the Old Testament where there is a falling out between the person on whom the favor of God is and on a relative of theirs. And in every one of those situations, a child is born and a nation is birthed that then begins to oppose the people of God. I, I, I'm going to try to walk carefully here, but you need to hear me tonight. When those conflicts arise and there is... Uh, Kind of a parting of the ways, we'll put it that way, between you and someone else, 
who has been associated with the people of God. We'll put it that way. But they are in opposition to the word of God. They are in opposition to the man of God. They are in opposition to the people of God. I can almost guarantee you when that separation happens, what used to be a friendly or family relationship is going to become adversarial. You're going to find your place in, yourself in a place of conflict, and it's not a nice place to be. I have a lot of backsliders in my family, and sometimes those conversations are a little strained. It becomes difficult to spend a lot of time with them because we are going one way and they are going another way. Amen? And I, I want to help somebody tonight. When that happens, you have to have made up in your mind what direction you are going with your life. I am going to fulfill the purpose of God in my life. I love you. I care about you. I hope you do well, but I am not going in that direction that you are going. Now, Brother Judah can testify. I showed him my text messages at lunch today of when I found this verse and when I text a friend about it and when I started developing this message. And it was a long time before I knew I was going to be preaching <laughs> at the Rock Church in Fort Myers. Okay? And nobody's told me anything, and nobody's, but I felt, and it's been a thread through these services, I guess, but I have felt that there are people who are rising up in opposition. They have allowed uh, social issues, health issues, political issues to cause them to lose their focus on the kingdom of God. And I'm just telling you, if you're in this house tonight, because I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, you're here, you're not at home hiding out with the toilet paper, so I feel like you're on board, right? You better get your vision fixed on the purpose of God in your life. Amen. And, and, and this next part, I can, I can preach because I've lived it. You need to line up behind your man of God and say, whatever he's doing, that's what I'm doing. Wherever he's going, that's where I'm going. And when people want to sit around and do this, oh, I don't think he's right about this, and I don't think he's right about that, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. You just be kind, you can be friendly, but you just shut that conversation down. You remove yourself from that environment. 
You can't save a drowning person if you're drowning. Yes, we love them. Yes, we want to see them get right. But you cannot make up people's minds for them. Amen. And you, I made up in my mind a long time ago. My mind and my spirit are not your trash can. I love you. I want to do all I can to help you. But you are not bringing your junk and dumping it here. You put that junk back in your car and take it back to your house and put it in your trash can. So Esau, he's, he's quite a character. And he starts quite a, a, a group of people. And so I kind of went through and looked and at every opportunity, Edom opposed Israel. And you're either going to align yourself with Israel or you're going to align yourself with Edom. Amen. And there will be, I'm, I'm telling you tonight, I'm not saying I'm prophesying, but I'm telling you from life experience, there will be two different outcomes to that decision. It will happen. Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. If we could put that up there real quick. One of the contrasts of Jacob and Esau, Esau sold his birthright. crazy. I can't even wrap my mind around it. Now, we'll get here in a second. In the text, he said he was dying of hunger. People can go without food for at least 40 days. I'm not convinced that he was dying of hunger. I think the New Testament says it well when it talks about those whose God is their belly because his appetites ruled him. You better be careful getting around people whose appetites rule them all the time. You better be careful. And so... He loses the birthright. He loses the blessing. That's a questionable situation. But you know what? When somebody really wants the blessing and somebody really wants the birthright and somebody really has a desire and a passion to get things from God, they're going to get it. And you can sit around and cry about what they got or you can just get up off your backside and start pursuing the blessing and start claiming victories in your life instead of crying about what they've got. Malachi 
Jeremiah chapter 1, I have loved you, saith the Lord. He's speaking to Israel. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. Next verse. And I hated Esau. That's strong language. And laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Next verse. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. People go out of the house of God and they say, our lives are going to get better. I, I lost everything down there at that church. That preacher took all my money. Those people don't love me. All they did was take from me. And when I get out of here, things are going to get better. But I'm telling you, the word of the Lord says they're not going to return. They're not going to repair the desolate places. They shall build, but I will throw it down. They're going to get out there and they're going to start building something of their own design. And God's already said, it ain't coming to pass. It ain't going to work. I'm going to knock it down. Remember the tools we had up here Sunday night, the sword and the trowel. When you take the sword and the trowel out there, it doesn't work. The only place those tools work is in the house of God. Fulfilling the purpose of God. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. You better be careful when you speak against the purpose and the people of God. Amen. And I know, I know, I know that we are in the New Testament, and I know that God forgives, and, I, and I, I believe in the revival of the backslider. But I also believe that there is a place that you can go in your mind where it's not about whether God will forgive you anymore. It's about what you have done to yourself. You have twisted your thinking, and you have broken your emotions until there is no place to find a place of repentance. Interesting thing about the statement in Romans 9.13 that Esau could not find a place of repentance. He sought it with tears. How many times have we seen people come into the house of the Lord and come to the altar and they weep and they sob and they Beg God. The place of repentance is, I believe, is always open. The Bible doesn't say that there was not a place of repentance. It said that Esau could not find the place of repentance. So, what do we do? We walk circumspectly, Pastor Williams. We walk carefully. We look at every decision. 
Young people, if you're in this house tonight, there are decisions that you can make at this season in your life that will impact your life forever. And unfortunately, young people are full of dreams and visions and hormones, and so sometimes they don't make the best decisions. That's why you need a man of God in your life. That's why you need godly parents in your life. That's why you need godly youth leaders in your life. Don't fly off the handle and start doing crazy stuff. Go get some counsel. And before you go get that counsel, you make up in your mind. Don't waste his time asking him what he thinks if you're not going to go do what he says. Make up in your mind before you even ask him. Whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Praise God. I personally, in my life, and, and I've told this to Bishop, Preached it at home with him standing there, and he's good with what I'm about to say, okay? But I have personally, personally been told by Bishop to do things that I did not think made any sense. Why does that happen, Brother Hicks? Because God's checking you out. God's going to see what's in there. And I've stood in those moments, Pastor Williams, and I'm like, what? This is not going to work. Convinced in my mind that this was not going to work. And I had my 15 logical mathematical reasons why it wasn't going to work. Everybody's avoiding eye contact right now. But when I obeyed the man of God and did my best to do what he told me to do, I'm not saying I've gotten it perfect every time, but I made the effort to try to do what he told me to do. Even if I failed, I tried. Every time that I went forward and did what he told me to do, even when I did not understand, it worked. Because I'm sitting over here thinking, man, 2 plus 2 is 4, but Bishop's saying 2 plus 2 is 10,000, and I don't know how that works. But when I stepped into the realm of obedience, 2 plus 2 did equal 10,000. And I'm standing there scratching my head, how in the world did that work? That is crazy. Well, is leadership always right? No. I'm in leadership, and I know I'm not always right. But that's the test. Can you show the leadership in your life the same amount of grace 
that you expect that leadership to show you? How much grace and love and mercy was shown to you when you first came through the door and you were a drug addict, you were an alcoholic, you were coming out of prison, you were messed up, you were just a wreck that nobody wanted to have anything to do with, and how much love was expressed to you. Brother Hammond didn't shake my hand tonight. I'm never coming back. What is that? You're teetering on the edge of two inheritances. You're teetering on the edge. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Some people are teetering on the edge, not only for their own life, but for the lives of their children and their posterity and generations that are coming after you that will be affected by decisions that you're going to make this week. You better get off your phone, you better get off your iPad, you better turn off the news. Quit reading all that junk and get on your face and pray until the Holy Ghost speaks into your life. And then come to church and listen to the preaching of the Word of God. And I promise you, whatever God tells you in prayer, the man of God is going to preach into your life when you step back in these doors. It's going to happen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17. Two inheritances. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness. Bitterness is the cancer of the soul. It is the most destructive emotion, feeling, mindset that a human being can have. Springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Bitter people are never happy to just be bitter on their own. What's the saying? Misery loves company. I'm bitter, so I want you to be bitter with me. No, thank you. I'm good. God bless you. Have a nice day. Love you. Pray with you in the altar, but we're not talking. We're not having conversations about it. I'm not hearing everything that you disagree with. Lest there be any fornicator. We need to define that. I didn't find anywhere in the Bible where Esau did that. But the Bible said that he was a fornicator. 
every time you read through the Old Testament prophets and people become involved in idolatry, it's compared to fornication and adultery. Because we're espoused unto one husband, and that's Christ. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I don't worship in other venues, sorry. What's the first thing that happens when people get bitter? They go get a TV and they go to a football game. What are they doing? They're moving the allegiance of their worship. I saw a cartoon several years ago, I don't remember where, and it was a picture of a television, and it had the, I'm not bashing any particular program, but it had the phrase American Idol on the picture of the TV and the man was bowing down on his knees in front of his TV watching American Idol in a posture of prayer. Fornication. Or a profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold Seems like a small thing. He just wanted a meal. He was just hungry. He just. But when you really look at what the scripture has to say about all of the things that were manifest in that moment that were going on in the life of this man, his bitterness, his idolatry, his profaneness, were all manifested by eating a bowl of beans. Please, for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. That's one inheritance. And you find it landing in the book of Obadiah with a message of destruction, despair. And again in Malachi, you try to rebuild it, it's not going to be rebuilt. It's done. And it actually weaves its way all the way through to the Herods. The Herods were Edomites. And somehow... I didn't, wasn't able to trace all of the history. I didn't have enough time. But somehow in the process of time through the captivity and the return and the destruction of these two nations, the Edomites started coming back to the house of God. And they started practicing Judaism. So much so that the Herods were able to maneuver politically to become the appointed kings of Palestine under the Roman emperor. But they weren't Jews. They practiced 
Judaism. They built one of the Herods the Great, built the temple again. But when you study their lives, their lives are just full of just debauchery. Killing their own children to secure their throne. Just sick, twisted individuals. And finally, it got so bad that one of the Herods in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 11, excuse me, is giving a speech and they say, it's the voice of a God. And because he glorified not God, he had literally worms come up inside of his stomach and killed him. And that, as far as I can find, Pastor Williams, is the last time you see Edom anywhere in the scripture. Now people say, well, that's, that seems really uh, fantastic. That's sci-fi that a man doesn't glorify God and so worms come up and it's documented in Josephus. Josephus records this event just like it's recorded in the book of Acts and that within five days he was dead and gives the dates according to the Roman calendar. The next time you think, man, that's really crazy what the Bible says, back up a minute because there's a lot of other sources that back up what the word of God says. So you have this man, he makes decisions, those decisions are in a large part responsible for the outcome of his family and eventually an entire nation. But you had another man, you have another man who was this man's name is Jacob, and he makes some different decisions. The thing I love about the scripture is it never hides people's flaws. It never hides their failures. Why? So we'll think less of them? No, so that we can relate <laughs> with them. Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, and Israel means a prince with God. He goes from being a liar and a deceiver and a heel grabber to being a man who is considered to be a prince with God and that he has power with both God and man. And I already mentioned he has 12 sons and they become the 12 tribes of Israel and it goes on and down to the lineage. But what is the eventual outcome of Israel's inheritance? If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you read down from Adam through Abraham through Israel 
down to David. Eventually, who do you get to? You get down to a name that we're all very familiar with, and that is Jesus Christ. If I will build my life correctly, if I will take the right steps and walk in obedience to the word of God, I can have an inheritance that is blessed, that is highly favored, that has the anointing of God upon it, that is, that is the perfect will and purpose of God in my life if I will just continue to walk in his precepts. The musicians can come. So does the, Obed the book of Obadiah leave us stranded in hopelessness and destruction kind of opens up pretty heavy let's go down to verse 17 and upon and upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions Okay, Edom, you looked on the calamity of Israel, you mocked them, you tore down their city. I didn't realize that until I started doing some research. Josephus says that it was the Edomites who destroyed the wall, Brother Williams. It was not Nebuchadnezzar who destroyed the city. It was the Edomites. And he also told us in verse 13 that they laid hands on the substance of the people of God. What is substance? That's your money. That's your stuff. That's everything that God's given you materially in this world. And you might be thinking right now, well, somebody took all my stuff. Just, just wait. Verse 18, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken. I think Pastor alluded to the verse about seeing the prosperity of the wicked. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the Bible says, judge nothing before it's time. <laughs> Young people, you see people, you see people out doing crazy things, and they they look like they're just living the life right now give it six months give it a year now I know I probably don't I know I don't deal with this at the level that Pastor Williams does but my wife can testify to the nights that those backsliders have called me at one o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning 
3 o'clock in the morning. And they're, they're putting on a show for you that it looks good. It's all good. And they're having fun. And, but when they're hungover or they're high out of their mind and they can't control themselves and they're depressed and they're crying, who do they call? They don't call their buddies that help them get in that mess. They call a man of God and they say, can you, can you talk to me? Can you, can you pray for me? Can you, can you help me? On May 8th, I got a phone call from a sister in our church. She had a, a relative in the hospital. Bishop was out of town. A lot of the other ministers have day jobs that they work. I was working at school and Sister Elder felt the urgency of the situation. She said, I will come cover for you and so you can go over there. So I, of course, what do I do? I obey the leadership in my life. So we, I went, began to pray. The lady was only 44 years old. She had consumed so much alcohol. Her liver and her kidneys and everything was. I don't know, young people, if you've ever seen this. Man, I wish some young people could make some hospital calls, Pastor Williams. And see the end result. She was not a, a big lady, but she was so bloated. almost as yellow as my notepad up here. I'm just struggling to breathe. Struggling to breathe. This family came in and we prayed and I spent a few minutes and I went out. The sad thing is, she's in a, she's part of a family that is just full of backsliders. And it just stayed with me. There were people in that room who had been exposed to apostolic truth who were living homosexual lifestyle. There was this poor lady who just had been ravaged by sin. 
within the hour I got the call that she had left this life. This is serious business. When we come in into this house, we are not playing games. Bishop has said this to me several times over the years in different circumstances. That it, it's never good when we lose. Because when we lose, there's a soul at stake. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and shall possess the field of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Stepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. Verse 21. All of the difficulty of Esau is countered in this one verse. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. I love this last phrase in this verse. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Can we stand? feel the Holy Ghost in this place tonight. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're backslid right now. I'm not saying any of those things. But I really feel in the Holy Ghost that there are some people in this house tonight that need to make some decisions. There are decisions that are going to affect the outcome of your life. I'm not grandstanding when I say that. I'm not saying that for effect. I'm not trying to make the decision bigger than it is. Not every decision in life is that important. But there are certain moments in time. I've heard elders say it for years. Not all moments are equal. And some of us are in pivotal moments right now. And we're going to open this altar. And we need to come and we need to make some decisions tonight. We need to decide, where am I going? Which inheritance am I going to align myself with? Am I a Jacob or am I an Esau? Oh, God, help us to be Jacob's. Oh, God, help us to be Jacob's. <laughs> God, I want to walk in victory, but I got to make the right decisions in my life. 
Let's begin to lift up our voice. Let's begin to call on him. In the name of Jesus. Come on right now across this building. Somebody respond to the Holy Ghost. Come on, there's a gentle hand of God that's reaching for us tonight. Come on right where you're at. Right where you're at, all over this house. If you're listening online right now, the Holy Ghost is talking to you. Right while you right where you're at, find a place to pray right now. Just turn around wherever you're at, get on your knees, begin to pray. Come on across this building. This is between you and God tonight. Forget about who's standing next to you. Forget about who else is in this room. Forget about what you've got going on the rest of this, this night. Forget about what tomorrow holds. This is a moment of eternity right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Yes, God. Oh. Here I am, Jesus. That's not like That's it. Don't let anything distract you tonight. Don't let anything distract you from talking to God tonight. That's not like you. I need you tonight, Jesus. Fill me with your I need you tonight, Jesus. I need you tonight, Jesus. Fill me with your That's it, that's it, that's it. Fill me with your power. 